You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So as we look tonight, we're going to be talking about how should we interpret prophecy, right? And so we're looking at Isaiah chapter 1 just for a little bit, and, and, and we're going to go through a few different places. But just look at the very opening words of Isaiah where it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So if you just even look at that opening verse, here is a vision. Here's something that some man, a prophet, uh, a preacher, if you will, named Isaiah. Here's who his dad was, right? And what he saw concerning a particular place, right? It says, which he saw concerning a nation and a city. What was the nation? Judah. And the city was? Jerusalem. So he's seeing something very specific for a specific place. And then it says, in the days of Uzziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he lived through four kings, right? So um, I want you to think through real quick. How many presidents have you lived through? Anybody? Okay. Um, you know, you can think through. Um, you, you might go, oh, I might have to be here for a while. How many presidents have you been through? Right here, he's saying, I've lived through four kings. So I, I'm, I have a message from the Lord that he's given me. I see a clear picture of what needs to happen here in this nation, in this city, during this time, right? So why is that unique? Because in the same way, let's just say that there was a prophet who uh, lives in the United States of America, and he gets a message for uh, God's people in 2021 during when Joe Biden is president, and he sees it clearly, right? Well, that message could be used at a different time, but it's also very specific. Make sense? Specific place, specific time, specific word. And so when we get to the areas of prophecy like this, this is what all of these books come to. And unfortunately, we kind of miss that sometimes as it comes to. Because the Old Testament prophets uh, spoke a specific message to a particular people. Every single one, starting from Isaiah all the way down to Malachi, specific message, particular people. And we can safely unpack the timeless truth and correctly interpret it for our situations with proper hermeneutical guidelines, right? So we want to make sure that we got everything kind of in place the way that we need to. So we want to start out by looking at the prophet, prophet's context. There's a larger historical context, if you think about it, and then we'll talk specific. So larger historical context, so if you think through the, the time frame of Isaiah to Malachi, there is a limited window of a few hundred years where all these books coincide. So at this time, Israel was established but spiritual, spiritually wavering. So if you think through what was going on in the history, the big picture, historical context, is that Israel was established. They were a nation. Um, you have moved past um, the times of the judges, right? You moved past King um, uh, Saul and then David and Solomon, and now you're getting into all those places in King, Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. If you've ever read those books, you know how confusing it can be, right? And this was the king for so-and-so, and he lived for this many years. And then all of a sudden, there's the king across the you know, border that did this, and back and forth, back and forth. This is that place where they're in. So they're established, but they're spiritually wavering. If you read 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, what do you notice a lot of times that the spiritual temperature of the nation was often tied to, does anybody remember? Spiritual temperature of the king. You know? At that time, reality was this. 
if you had a, a, a king like Josiah, Josiah had his heart for the Lord, and he got rid of the Baal statues and did all these kind of things, and he served the Lord, and guess what? The nation followed suit. And then arose this other guy named, you know, what, whatever it may be, right? He has different ones that'll say, and this guy was awful, and guess what? Everybody followed suit. And, and so with this, you go back and forth. Now, all along the background of 2 Kings and First and Second Chronicles, here's the narrative timeline. And Isaiah through Malachi, if you will, are the sermon podcast of what's going on in the midst of all that, okay? Here's all the sermon collection. Here's all the books. Here's all the blog posts. Here's all the stuff that these prophets are speaking about specific things going on. So God was using the prophets to call his people back before impending what? Destruction. Prophets are warning Folks, God's not happy with us, and we need to repent now. We need to change now. Because um, if you think about in the scriptures, we'll talk about that God is long-suffering, right? He's got a long fuse, okay? But once it goes long enough, there is a point where he's going to say, enough is enough. And so, so with this, he's saying that God's using the prophets to call the people back before impending destruction. That's the big picture of the context of all these prophets but then within it is a specific historical context. So there is a difference between the specific historical context between Isaiah and Jeremiah, if you will. Okay, There's different times. Sometimes we're even speaking of different nations. So as you look through these uh, prophecy in the Old Testament, guess what? The prophetic books are not in chronological order. Okay, Once again, this is one of those confusing portions of Scripture. If you read it straight through, you're like, haven't we already heard this? Maybe. Okay, They put them together in a very way that's honestly... They put the big boys at first and the smaller ones at the, the back, and it just kind of goes like that. And so it's literally hopscotching all around history, timeline, uh, where actual location they're preaching to. So it's not in chronological order. All prophets speak to different groups of people in specific context. So some prophets will speak to Israel, right? Some prophets will speak to Judah. Uh, some prophet will speak to a group called Nineveh. Remember what his name was? Jonah, right? So, and that's specifically, now most of the time, these prophets are speaking to God's nations, Israel or Judah, right? Rarely, but at certain times, they will speak specifically to uh, other nation. but a lot of times, the, the bad news is, is geared toward Israel and Judah. Uh, it is beneficial to know the date and location from which the prophet was prophesying. Now, I'm not asking anybody here to memorize these things, because I have not either, Okay i got a cheat sheet on here that we're going to look at. Um, but it is important to know the date and location for which the prophet was prophesying. So when we spent uh, about four months in the book of Daniel, three to four months in the book of Daniel, um, the book of Daniel's powerful by itself, but you kind of need to know that Daniel was in exile when it happened, right? He's, he's kind of in exile. He's not at home. He's in Babylon. Horrific city. It makes a lot more sense. If you just go in and sort of pop in, oh, Daniel's talking to whoever. No, he's talking specifically to certain groups of people, and you kind of need to know. Now, here's big picture timeline of this area, okay? So, uh, Assyria destroyed Israel in 722 B.C., okay? So, if you think about it, remember that after uh, first king was King Saul, right? King Saul was not good. Uh, so, God gives the nation a king after God's own heart. His name is what? David, right? David establishes the nation like it's never been before, brings the capital to Jerusalem, institutes worship, says, hey, I would love to build a temple. And God says, ah, you can't, you've killed too many people. But your son can, right? And so David's son's name is 
Solomon. Solomon comes in and takes what David had and blows it up to a whole other level, right? I mean, uh, wisest man, uh, rich, incredible, um, just doing all kinds of stuff that other nations are coming in just to say, tell us how you do it. Because of Solomon's um, later disobedience and just lack of discrepancy, right, as he, as he follows uh, the ways of this world, after Solomon, there's not a straight cut um, to the king, and there's kind of a civil war that starts based on his kids, right? They, they, there's all kinds of dysfunction in their family. Probably makes your family look really good, right? Okay, if you look at what's going on with their family, and what eventually takes place is you got Israel separated into two nations called Israel and what? Judah, right? So they, they separate. There's a civil war of sorts, and that's why it gets really confusing in some of those narrative places. So the first nation that goes down is Assyria destroys Israel in 722 B.C. Comes and ransacks the place. Um, they exile, deport some people. Some stay in, but they try to take the, the best and the brightest. In 605 B.C., Babylon attacks Judah. So now it's left to Judah is what's left, and now Babylon's coming in and attacking them. And this is when a lot of prophets go, well, Babylon is a horrible city. Even though we're bad, there's no way that God would make us suffer at the hands of such horrible people. And God's like, actually, I sent them here because you know better. They don't know better. This is who they are and what they do. But you, on the other hand, it's something completely different. So it start, attacks Judah. Um, there are people like Jeremiah, as we'll look at in a little bit, is just begging God to do something different. Well, Babylon destroys Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, in 586 B.C., okay? Uh, destroys Jerusalem, capital city goes down, and then all of a sudden they are put into the best and the brightest are exiled to the city of Babylon, like we see Daniel and those guys. Um, Judah begins to return from Babylonian exile in 538 B.C. So the first group of people are, are um, starting to come back in, about 538 B.C., starts moving back in to Jerusalem. Uh, what you also notice is at that time, there's a call, hey, anybody want to go back to Jerusalem? And some people said, we're good. I got a nice house over here, nice garden over here. I think we're just going to keep it here. So there's a, what they call a remnant returns to uh, Jerusalem. The temple is rebuilt in 515 B.C., right? 515 B.C., first thing they do is when they come back in. Uh, if we go back to the narrative portion or the historical section of the Old Testament, what books in the Bible, if you can remember, what were the, if the narrative portions, there's two guys that go together, that one is building the temple and one's building the wall. Anybody remember those? Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Okay, so Ezra's rebuilding the temple, and then Nehemiah comes in, and in about 445, the Jerusalem walls are reconstructed. So I'll I, I, I show you that little quick timeline to show you this. All of these prophets have to do with that section, okay? My microphone's go off. Well, bye, George. All right, um... Never want to waste batteries. I'm like, maybe it'll last today, but never mind. So all of these prophets come in, right? Between 722 and 445. So the narrative sections of Scripture that we read about, the ones that we see coming through are one thing, but then when you really get down to it, what you see is here's the prophets that and the collections of books that we have are actually their sermons during all of these times. This is what they're warning the people, warning other nations about, and trying to make sure that people are following the Lord during those times. So, with that, uh, as we talk about Jerusalem walls being reconstructed, let me go through and look at these um, prophets for you, because um, let's be honest, 
this is probably not the most familiar portion of Scripture for you in your devotional reading, okay, right? In fact, I'll probably, a lot of times when I'll show people the table of contents, they're like, oh yeah, I forgot that was a book, right? Okay, um, as, so like we had some people when, when, uh, uh, when Obadiah, when Amanda was pregnant with Obadiah, and we asked people like, oh, um, they said, what are you, you going to name your son? I said, Obadiah, and people were like, oh, where'd you get that from? I'm like, the table of contents of the Bible, okay? And it really showed a lot of people's ignorance, and it was really embarrassing. They're like, oh, I was just joking. I'm like, yeah, I bet. Um, so anyway, when, when you go through it, um, they, it honestly was, there, there's so much beautiful things about these prophets' names, and uh, I've, I've shared this on Sunday evenings before, so I won't run too far in it. But one of the most beautiful things about um, Old Testament names and New Testament names to a sense is they are continually putting the names of God tucked away in all these names. And oftentimes the names are meeting up to what the, the prophet specifically, what their ministry is going to be about. So you got two predominant names in the Old Testament for God, El or Elohim, which is kind of generic, right, the, the, of God. And then there's a word named Yahweh, or what a lot of times we would say is Jehovah. Um, and, and that is the, the way that we would translate what is said as the great I am. I am who I am, that statement, okay? So Elohim is kind of the generic, hey, we know there's a God, there's, a, there's an Elohim. Yahweh is, I actually know him by name, okay? So whenever you get to an Old Testament name, if you see an E-L like Elijah, or on the back end like Daniel, if you see that E-L, God's name is tucked into that uh, name somewhere. If you ever see I-A-H, uh, the Ayah, Obadiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all, all those kind of things, the name of Yahweh is tucked in that name. So um, what's happening is while Elijah, for a prophet example, Elijah didn't write a book of prophecy, but he's probably the most famous prophet you know, as far as a narrative goes. Elijah, look what you have, El and Ijah, you have both Elohim and Yahweh tucked in that name. Now, if you think about Elijah's ministry, what was he doing? He was confronting the prophets of Baal, who all said, our God is Baal. Our God is Baal, right? And what he comes down to is this, oh yeah, well, your God is Baal, but guess what? My God, what in the world is going on tonight? I'll tell you what. Uh, hold on a second. about to have a showdown here. Okay, um, so we go in here, and what we've got is, on names like this, remember Elijah? He, that, what, that, one, that one encounter that he has with all the prophets of Baal, he says, I will compete against you, right? Remember this? All hundreds of prophets, and guess what? They're all like, Baal's our God, Baal's our God. He said, yeah, well, guess what? Yahweh is mine. Elijah means, my God is Yahweh. Guess what his ministry was? My God is Yahweh. So, so even in his name, there's kind of a, this is what it's going to be about. So a lot of times I love studying the names of these folks because there's some beautiful things that God's doing on the side of things. So you, you see here, uh, Isaiah is the first one. Uh, the word means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves, if you will. And so much about the book of Isaiah, guess what? It's about that uh, Yahweh saves, that he rescues uh, it was written about 740 to 700 B.C., so if you look at that, uh, what do you notice uh, is happening on our timeline? Anybody? Assyria is about to come in and blow Israel up, right? So Isaiah is warning Israel predominantly, but also Judah, to say, folks, wake up. God's not going to continue to do this forever. Um, if you think about Isaiah, uh, one of the most, I would say, 
um, known sections in all the uh, prophets would be Isaiah chapter 6. Remember this, right? It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? The Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, or smoke, blah, 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 and angels, and you know, these angelic beings are sitting there, holy, holy, holy. They got six wings doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And all of a sudden, Isaiah says, What? Uh oh. <laughs> Woe is me. <laughs> I got a bad mouth, and I live among people with bad mouth. That's what he basically says, okay? I'm a sinner, and I live among sinful people, and, and I, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I, I'm undone. What, what's going to happen to me? So one of these angelic beings comes in, seraphim comes in and gets a hot coal from the altar and comes touches his lip. He is forgiven. He's cleansed. And then the voice from the throne says, So who's going to go for us? Who can I send? And Isaiah goes, Put me in, coach. I'll do it. I'll say yes. And I'm like, Isaiah, he hasn't told you where he's going yet. <laughs> you wait for all the explanations. And Isaiah like, nope, I've been forgiven. I'm in. Where do you want to go? I'm in. And he, and he says yes. And so Isaiah uh, is the longest of the prophets, uh, 66 chapters. Um, the, the change from chapter 39 to chapter 40 is so shocking, they think two different people wrote it. Okay? I want you to turn to chapter 40, actually, for a second. Um, so Isaiah chapter 40 is where it turns and it changes a lot because in Isaiah's day, it's very been doom and gloom for 39 chapters. Um, the Lord's going to do this. The Lord's going to get you. Da, 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 da. Uh, here's all this bad stuff that's going to happen if you don't change. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Like, what? Who is this person writing, right? This is so different than what we've heard. Verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And in this passage, this, this chapter is where uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God stands forever. I think verse 8. Uh, verse 28, the everlasting God does not sleep. He doesn't get tired. Uh, uh, Isaiah uh, verse 31 says, uh, Yet the Lord will renew our strength. We'll mount up with wings like eagle. We'll run and not grow tired. We'll walk and not get faint. And so there's just this message of comfort. So Isaiah gives the bad news for 39 chapters. And he says, but don't worry. Even in God's discipline. There's salvation plan for you. And so here's Isaiah. If we look at Jeremiah, uh, this is Yahweh will lift up. You know why this is good? Because Jeremiah had a nickname. His nickname is the Weeping Prophet. Oh, God, why? You know, just all the time, like, this is so hard, and I'm the only one left, and why are you calling me to do this? And this is so hard. And his name means, don't worry, Yahweh's going to lift you up. You'll be all right. You're going to make this. You're going to be okay. Um, he was in the time of 627 to 586 B.C., uh, which makes sense. So at this point, there's really Israel is not existing. Uh, so he's speaking specifically to Judah, saying this, you saw what happened to Israel, folks. Wake up, it's coming to Judah. And they're like, no way. We got Jerusalem at our centerpiece. This is the city of the king. There's no way this will happen. So Jeremiah, as the weeping prophet, is continually pointing the people to, to uh, God. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 is a beautiful call of the prophet. It says, Before you were born, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I consecrated you in your mother's womb. That's what you're going to do with your life, right? Uh, this beautiful 
And Jeremiah comes back and says, but I'm not even a, I'm not that talented. I don't, I'm just a youth. He's like, I know, but I'll be with you. <laughs> and it's going to be okay. I've appointed you for this task. Um, chapter 20, verse number 9 is one of, I love the verse. It says, Jeremiah gets so low doing ministry one day. He says, but if I say I'm not going to say anything about you anymore or remember your name, then in my heart becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I can't endure it. I want to give up. I just can't. I can't. I keep speaking for you. So if you go all the way to the end of Jeremiah, which is chapter 52, um, you're going to notice that in 51 and everything leading up to it, you see that the, um, in fact, if you just look at 51 verse number 58, you notice how in your Bible it looks a little bit different than everything that comes after that, right? So chapter 51, verse 58, and everything ab above that is poetry. You can see the way that it's written in your text. It's indented differently, and each line is kind of doing... There's a metric and type of poetry that we don't see in English, but it is there. So like verse 58, thus says the Lord of hosts, The broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gate shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. This is poetry. Um, and then all of a sudden everything stops. And the next chapter is, if you look at chapter 52, verse 1, the subheading, says the fall of Jerusalem recounted. Everything he's been warning about for 51 chapters, repent or else, it happens. And so all of a sudden um, the temple is burned and everything that he was praying for would not happen does actually happen. Which is why if you turn the page over, you see one more book by him. What's that book called? Lamentations. Now, this is kind of an intermission book in the middle of all these prophets' books because this is a little bit different. This is literally Jeremiah's song of lament after it happens. Okay, They separated it because it's very, very different. Um, so lament means sorrow, right? It's a passionate expression of sorrow. This happens as soon as all this happens to the people of Judah. Um, Lamentations is not a place that a lot of people will spend a lot of time in, but you... Uh, probably every person in this room, you know a song that is inspired from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? Uh, here's this picture of them saying, we have been taken out, uh, but great is your faithfulness. That is the song that my darling bride walked down the aisle to when we got married in June 12, 2004. That was the song that we played, just to say, you know what, out of everything that could have gone wrong in our life, great is your faithfulness, oh God. And, and I sang it like this. <laughs> so it was really, really bad. Uh, but it is a, it's a reminder that, you know, that was a beautiful hymn, but inspired by this, that even while the city is burning, great is your faithfulness. Your Lord's loving kindness has indeed never ceased. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And such a reminder of that. So Lamentations is a little bit different. Then we get to the next major prophet called Ezekiel. Okay, so now we don't have Yahweh. We have El, so God will strengthen. Uh, the date is 597 to 574 BC. And this is written to the exiles in Babylon, right? Um, most of you would probably know um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel has some weird stuff if you've ever read it. Okay, you kind of feel like you're having nightmares a little bit. Or like you're kind of, oh, what does all this mean? Chapter 36 is probably the most familiar place, verse 26, where it says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, right? And this is also the place where it says, uh, God says, you see this valley of dry bones over here, chapter 37? And Ezekiel goes, yeah, that's a lot of dead folks. And he goes, do you think they can live again? I don't know, God. He goes, preach over them. 
Watch them come back to life. And here's this picture of that even in their exile, right? Even in like death and, and just destitute state, um, God calls on it. Ezekiel Ezekiel's different. God calls Ezekiel to do some really weird stuff. Um, your, your job's never going to be too rough compared to Ezekiel. Like sometimes uh, there's one point where God says, I want you to lay on your side for so many days that represents so many years that they're going to be in exile. Okay, then what? Lay on your other side because this is going to be how long that they go. Okay, then I want you to cook your food on dung because this is what, like, is. I mean, it's just like horrible. <laughs> Ezekiel's like, can I just write a book or something? Like, please, I can't just, any other thing that I can do, right? But poor Ezekiel, he had, he had a lot on him uh, he was called to do. Last major prophet's a guy, hopefully, that you know, because uh, we spent a long time talking about him, but Daniel, there's that L in there. God is my judge. Isn't that an interesting uh, meaning for a guy who was going to be in the middle of a lot of human authority battles? So this is exiles in Babylon, and speaking to the Babylonians, um, Daniel is different than almost, well, really way different than I would say all the other prophetical books because Daniel's got 12 chapters, first six, right? You got your Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got Daniel in the lion's den. People love, love, love Daniel. And then you get to chapter 7, and people avoid it like the plague, right? Because it's just scary. In fact, a lot of my friends who are like, oh, here you're preaching through Daniel. Are you stop, stopping at chapter 6? You're not going to do 7, are you? I'm like, is that a dare? Because it sounded like a dare. And so anyway, you go all the way through it. Um, but this is a picture of, uh, folks, this is an important word for us. How do you survive when a society goes pagan? How do you live for God in a land that does not? How do you live for God when uh, all the authorities think that they are God and they can make the rules and change all this kind of stuff? How do you do that? So Daniel and his friends are trying to figure that out for six chapters. And then the remainder of time, uh, he looks at it and says, let me tell you how what, what's coming. And so he has this picture of the future that is very, very different. So those are the major prophets. If you turn over to the back side, you see the minor prophets. Uh, so we've got 12 minor prophets here. Uh, which is probably, once again, some of the uh, least famous sections of the Bible, right? Um, Hosea name means salvation, and it was written around 722 B.C. Uh, to the people of Israel. So now we're taking a step back in time after uh, all the fall that we've just learned about with Daniel. So we're going way back all the way to he's a contemporary of Isaiah. Uh, you also remember Ezekiel had a hard task. Hosea had a pretty difficult one as well, right? Um, Hosea is a little bit different because God calls him to stay faithful and even buy back his wayward wife uh, when she's actually selling herself. And he says, I want you to keep buying her back. And he says, but she's been unfaithful to me. And he goes, yep, and so have my people. And so you're going to be a living, breathing example of the love of God who will not give up on his bride. And um, there's a moving sec. I mean, uh, Hosea chapter 6, he says um, that God delights um, in loyalty rather than sacrifice. He's like, you've been bringing me sacrifices. I just want you to be obedient, right? I want you to stay faithful to me. Um, one of the most beautiful places in Hosea, I think it's chapter 3 or 4, it's a short chapter, where he says um, there's a, he finds that his wife is being sold, and there's a typical going rate for what a slave would be, and, I, and it's so many shekels of silver or something, and it says that he paid for her in like a this and a this and a this and this is a random stuff he's throwing together and it's almost this picture like he had to go into the couch cushions to be able to get enough to buy her back he he, he does everything he can to bring her back 
Uh, and, and so there's this um, living, breathing picture of, of what unfaithfulness to God can look like. Then we go to Joel, uh, which um, Yahweh is God. There's the Jah, Jah, the Jah, Jah. Uh, even in fact, especially, this is another thing. Sometimes it's we translate it Ayah, or sometimes it can be Jah. Um, so, like, how do you, um, if you think about the word that we say hallelujah, right? How do you spell the Yah of hallelujah? Anybody remember? It's a J-A-H. I never think about it, but we say hallelujah. You don't say hallelujah. We say hallelujah. And why is that? Because in the Old Testament, there is not a J sound. There's not a character in the Hebrew alphabet, 23 characters. There's not a J sound in it. So um, that's why when you say Jehovah or Jehovah's Witnesses get really confused when you talk to them about that. Um, but with it, we say hallelujah, and that word literally means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. Um, so it's kind of tucked in there. So Joel, there's this Yah, Yah, Yahweh is God. Uh, approximately 9th to 6th century B.C. You go, that's pretty broad. You're right, we're not exactly sure uh, when that is. He was speaking in Judah. Joel is the guy who says, hey, be careful. If you don't straighten up, God's going to send locusts. It's a kind of short book, but it's kind of frightening if you've ever lived through a time of cicadas. Um, then we go to a guy by the name of Amos. His name means burden, and he preached as if he had a burden for the people. Approximately around 793 to 740 B.C., um, Amos is known, chapter 5, verses 22, 23-ish, says that, uh, put away the noise of your hearts, all the melodies of your songs. I'm tired of listening to your music. I want justice to flow down like the river and righteousness like the streams. Like, stop committing all this stuff in worship and just get down to it, right? Do the right thing. You had a burden. God's people were not truly living like God's people. Then we get to a name that I love to death. In fact, I was in Hebrew class when I called after I got done. And I was like, hey, babe, I think I know the name of our son. She's like, okay. And I, she said, what is it? I said, I need to set it up. She's like, oh, no. And I said, it's, you know, anybody can call their son Bob or Joe. But, like, there's, you know, there's these deep biblical meanings. And there's a name I found out today in Hebrew class that means a worshiper of Yahweh or a servant of Yahweh. She says, that's awesome. What is it? I said, I'm not done explaining it. Okay? And I'm just, like, going through, you know, the rich meanings and what this name means. And, um, and I said, it's Obadiah. She goes, I either love it or I hate it. I'm not sure. I said, well, don't make your decision right now, right? I said, and we could call him Obi for short. And she said, does this have anything to do with Star Wars? I said, okay, it's a cool second thing. It's not the first thing, but it is a cool second thing if you think about it. And, uh, you know, and we won't ever have to get confused of, you know, who, which one it is, right? And, um, and so anyway, this was, yeah, we had some family members that were like, now, where'd you find that name? I'm like, read your Bible. Um, but, uh. O Obadiah means worshiper of the Lord of Yahweh or servant of Yahweh. And I just thought such a, a deep, rich name that, like, here's this person who says my whole life is going to be about worshiping the one true God. And the book is the shortest one in the Old Testament. In fact, when Obadiah was old enough to read it, he was like, I want to read the book that has my name on it. And then he came back and was like, Dad, what's your problem? And I was like, what do you mean? Because this is like a whole train wreck of a chapter. This is the worst book in the Bible. I was like, it's not the worst book in the Bible. And, uh, but uh, Obadiah, what, what happens in uh, chapter 1, it's only chapter, uh, verses 4 and 5, he says, Hey, you build high like the eagle, and you build your nest among the stars, and you think, who's going to bring me down? God says, I'll bring you down from there. You're boasting in yourself. They're not worshiping the Lord. So he's speaking to the people of Edom, okay? Speaking to the people of Edom, here are the people who have been um, persecuting God's people, and they're building themselves up, saying, we don't have to worship the Lord. And, um, and verse 15 says, as what's been done to you, 
nation or what, what the nations have done to us, God will do to you. He'll repay you for what you've done. So uh, Obadiah is a great little book, even though if my little buddy thinks it's messed up. Okay. Um, then we get to the other kind of narrative um, uh, prophet named Hut. Jonah, okay? This is the first book that I preached through when um, I came here almost five years ago. Uh, February 2017, we spent four weeks going through Jonah. Uh, and what's so beautiful about it, the name means dove. Uh, and you think through, there's a lot of, sim- um, you know, obviously symbolism with what the dove means in the Old Testament about God's grace uh, to his people and also doing with water. And here we go, Jonah. And God says, I want you to go to the, the city of what? Nineveh. And I want you to tell them to get right. And he goes, which way is Nineveh? That way? Okay, thank you. And he goes the opposite way. And God goes, really? That's how you're going to do this? I can get you there, right? And so through a series of events, he, he goes down and, and gets situated and then um, is um, vomited out on the shores of Nineveh, right? And, um, oh my gosh. Okay, uh, vomited out on the shores of Nineveh. And uh, we're going to get there. We'll keep going. Judas Iscariot. Okay. Um, that's over here now. All right. We'll keep moving. It's thinking about it. All right. Uh, so Jonah comes in, obviously, and here's this, this message that is different because it's very, it's very much narrative-based, right? Then it's also about the people that uh, are not God's people. The next one is Micah, uh, who is like the Lord. So uh, interesting. So that you see the, the ka, the Micah. There's the Yahweh in it, which makes sense. So if you think of what would the name Michael be? Who is like the Lord God? So Michael, there's this who is like the Lord God Almighty. So if you've ever seen those phrases in it. Anyway, I geek out about names. Sorry about that. Um, Micah, approximately 750 to 700 B.C. in Judah. Uh, one of the things that you need to know about Micah, he is the one in chapter 6, verse 8, who says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to... Do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Nahum means comforting, uh, approximately 650 B.C., uh, and he's comforting Judah in their dealings with the Assyrians, saying it's going to be okay. Habakkuk means embrace, approximately 640 to 615, speaking to the people of Judah, saying how important it is for the people of God. They're going through this hard time, and Habakkuk's going, it's just not as makes sense. You're, you're letting people who are worse than us pay us back. This isn't right, God. Fix it. And God continues to say that he's going to watch out for them. Then we get to Zephaniah, uh, which means Yahweh treasures, approximately 640 to 609 B.C. And speaking to Judah, Zephaniah, probably the most famous passage in there is chapter 3, verse 17, which says, Lord, your God's in your midst, a mighty warrior. He will exult over you. He will sing and dance over you. He will quiet you with his love. It's pretty neat to think about. We sing to God, but actually God sings and delights and dances over us. Huh? That's a good. Uh, Zephaniah wouldn't be a bad one. I, I was. It was on the short list. I'm not gonna lie. I, uh, we we had a, we had a list of names. If we'd had a whole uh, we'd have a whole Old, Old Testament prophet clan, honestly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Zephaniah was an option. Uh, Haggai is an interesting one. Festive. It's it's a shorter book, approximately 538 to 515. These were returning exiles to Jerusalem. So guess what Haggai is? Haggai is the go-to book. Whenever a preacher needs to do a building campaign, okay? You know why? Because <laughs> he says, chapter 1, verse number 9, 
hey, you're sitting in your paneled houses, but guess what? The Lord's house is sitting desolate. So we need to raise money and get this thing built, right? Okay, so it is a great book that does have to do a lot with that. Uh, but that's what Haggai is all about, about the people of God. They have moved back into Jerusalem, and guess what? They haven't known what they said they're going to do. Uh, they were going to build a temple first and foremost, but then they say, let's just stay on our, our own our houses. Uh, Zechariah is Yahweh remembers uh, approximately 515 B.C., uh, newly returned exiles to Jerusalem. Zechariah is probably known most for chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, Not by uh, power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? It's not the strength of man. Um, and then Malachi is my messenger. Uh, after 515 B.C., he speaks really out against all the religious leaders of the day. Malachi's message is so um, in your face towards the religious leaders Many people think that Malachi probably wasn't actually his name. It was his uh, pen name, so nobody knew how to go find him and beat him up or kill him So, uh, because it was so uh, against those prophets. So real quick, we're going to look at these prophets' contents, um, and let me see if this will... It may not. Well... There you go. Look at the prophet's contents. I'm just going to talk through this with you. Um, most of the prophet's messages focus on current disobedience and impending consequential um, disaster. So a lot of what's happening in this book is that they are warning, without a doubt, of saying, here's what's going to happen if we don't get right with the Lord. And so for so often of it, um, one of the most common misunderstandings of how this book goes uh, or all these books go, is that a lot of people think it's just future telling, but in reality what it is is, hey, if, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. So I always say that um, when I tell my children, um, hey, if you do that again to your sister, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, am I, am, I a, am I a future teller? Well, in some ways, yes, because if that happens again, this is what's going to happen. I can promise you that, right? I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see clearly, but I am saying this. If you don't change this, this is what's going to happen. This is what a lot of the prophets are doing. Um, so that second line there, only a small percentage of Old Testament prophecy foretells future events. Um, there are future things that they say and this is going to happen, but most often it is a future event, like I said, like a father saying, if you do this again, this is going to happen to you. If you continue this, this is what's going to happen, okay? So um, in the same way, there are people who would say uh, they have the gift of prophecy and not the way that we think typically. The gift of prophecy is speaking on behalf of God, telling the truth and reality. Um, there are times where I can look at someone and say, if you continue this destructive pattern, this will happen, okay, right? If you continue this, this is what's going to happen. How do you know that for sure? I've just seen it a thousand times, right? Here's what's going to happen. So the future element a lot of times is continue to do this, and this is what will take place. Instead of providing new commands, number three, the prophets warned about disobedience to the old commands. There's not new material in the sense of, hey, we got a new rule for you. It keeps going back to the law. You remember the law says this. We're disobeying, folks. We've got to get back to it. We've got to get back to it. So these prophets are doing, honestly, what... Ryan was doing today or what I typically do. Here's what God's Word says, and we need to get in line with it, folks. We're not coming up with something new, going back to what the Word originally says. Um, number four, the prophets presented God's Word to a people in a particular situation. Okay? Prophet, um, I skip one. 
I skipped one. Wait a minute. The prophet's primary job was to speak for God to their specific audience. That's what I was trying to say. The prophet's primary job was to speak for God to their specific audience. So once again, specific group they're talking to, specific situation going on. So as they're speaking to a particular situation, moving on. The next line, in the prophetic books, we hear from the prophet, but we rarely hear about the prophet. Okay? Daniel is an exception. Jonah is an exception. Hosea is an exception. Isaiah for one chapter is an exception. But for the most part, it's just, my name's Joel, and I got a sermon to tell you. Okay? Uh, my name's Habakkuk, and I got something to say. And so really, you're not hearing a whole lot about these guys. You're just hearing their, their sermons, what they write down from there. Uh, God commissioned the prophets to serve as covenant enforcement mediators. Okay, Someone who's going to mediate for these people. Not a new covenant, not something new, but saying, hey, remember what we've committed to God and what he's committed to us. Now we just want to mediate that covenant, make sure that we are stepping in line with what we need to do to continue to go back over and over through this. This next line says, blessing or cursing depended upon the hearer's obedience to the law. So often in the prophet's message, it just says this. So if you want blessing, guess what? Just live the way life, the way God has called us to do. If you want cursing and frustration, guess what? You can continue down this deceitful, disobedient path, but it's not going anywhere that you want to. So these next two lines talk about the difference between obedience and disobedience. So number one, obedience brought about life, health, prosperity, agriculture, abundance, respect, and safety. Throughout some of these Old Testament prophets, they keep saying, obedience will bring about these things. You'll live. You'll be able to live in the land. You'll be able to be watched over and cared for. But if you continue to walk away, then guess what's going to happen? Um, the disobedience section comes to it. So that second line says, disobedience. In these Old Testament prophets, this is what they brought. Brought death, disease, drought, dearth, danger, destruction, defeat, deportation, destitution, and disgrace. Okay, there's a good Baptist line for you. Okay, a lot, a lot of uh, alliteration there. This is how specific it is to them that brought all these horrible things. That's what disobedience would bring. So these Old Testament prophets was so incredibly important for us. And here, here's the message that we have to be careful with. Probably the most quoted Old Testament prophecy verse, and I've mentioned this a, um, a bunch uh, on Sunday evenings, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11, right? No plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a future and a hope. For, you know, not for this, but for this. Not for this, but for that. And you cannot understand verses 11 unless you understand the first 10 verses of that chapter. really can't understand it unless you get the first 28 chapters of that whole book and where this is going. Because Jeremiah is speaking at a specific time to a specific people. And he has warned them over and over and over again that if they don't start obeying the word, then God is going to send in the Babylonians to come take them over. And Jeremiah 29, verse 11, comes in after the fact that he said this. Y'all better get ready because the Babylonians are about to come in and take you out and take you to their place. And you're going to wonder why this is happening, and I want to tell you why. Because I sent them. Because I'm letting this happen. And so when you go into that deportation, when you go into exile, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get married. I want you to have babies. I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to pray for the city. You know why? You're going to be there a while. In fact, you're going to be there for 70 years. But after 70 years, I'm going to come back and visit you. Um, they had been, follow this, they had been disobedient to keeping the Sabbath for 490 years. Math majors, what we have there, okay? And so he says, so you're going to be out 70 years. I'm going to give you a Sabbath rest on you. I'm going to make you happen. So 490 years they've been warning. 
Now all of a sudden, you're going to be out for 70 years. You refuse to take the Sabbath rest to trust me that I was your provider. So I'm going to force you to take 70 years off. And pushes them down to 70 years. And he says, okay, but after those 70 years, don't worry. I'm going to come back and visit you because I know the plans i got for you. And after 70 years, oh, and by the way, most of y'all won't be around at that point. But don't worry. i got a plan for my people. We will be restored. And so the reason why, to, to wrap this up for us, why this is so important is, if we're not careful, we can use Jeremiah 29, verse 11 in a haphazard way, in a way that was never intended for us. Because, um, now, I have never been exiled to Babylon, right? <laughs> kind of, okay, right? But in a grander picture, okay, I can't take that specific covenantal promise and say this belongs to Travis and Greenville, South Carolina in 2021. But can I say, all right, 70 years big section of life, you know, percentage of life for for most people, right? I will say this, even though I'm a citizen of the United States of America, I feel like I'm in exile for my entire life. I feel like I'm living in the middle of Babylon, and every year it feels a little bit more like Babylon, at least to me, right? It feels a little bit more like it. And God, I think, in His truth is saying, okay, even though you're not exactly like this, there's going to be some people who are going to come behind, and you're going to live most of your life or you're going to live all of your life in a land that doesn't feel like home to you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get married, have some kids, build a house, plant a garden, pray for the peace of the city, be good citizens and let the city around you be better because you were there. But don't worry, I'm going to come one day. And I know a future for you. And I know a hope for you. And one day you're going to be out of this city and you're going to be in a better one. Now that's a message that we can hold on to, folks, right? And, and so, so with that, within these prophets' message, we just always want to respect the time and the specifics of where it's at. Then you go in there and you go, now what are, what are the truths that can be unpacked and moved in a, a greater level for all saints, all time, and then we can apply it to our lives. And so, Father, we do thank you for uh, the message of these prophets uh, here tonight and the way that they point us to you. Lord, I pray that we would be people of your book who are longing for your presence and staying faithful in your time. Lord, it just keeps coming back to you, Lord, that... You've written in your word how we should live. Help us to stay faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.